This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Gooey Duck. Yes, which despite the fact that every publication I read pretty much told you how to pronounce it, I think I'm going to struggle with, but <laughs> I'm going to do my best. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the word is spelled in English G-E-O-D-U-C-K, so it looks like Geoduck, um, yes. which is not what it's called. Nope. No. Nope, not no. at all. And uh, I, a lot of listeners wrote in about this one. Yeah. When I first started, I because I like to do kind of a, like, before and after in these top notes. Um, and I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. I huh. thought it was a type of duck. I thought it was. Oh. Or a kind of mushroom. I thought maybe it was like a geo from the earth. I, I don't <laughs> okay. know, but okay. I was way, way off. I was so far off. But now that I've done the research, I'm pretty sure I've had it because I, I was in China for eight months. It's pretty popular in China. Yeah. So I feel like I must have had it. And I did go to some fancy meals in China. So I, okay. I think it might have shown up on my plate. And I All just right. didn't know it. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen them out at uh, like like H Mart, like, like, mm-hmm. like local... Uh, Korean supermarkets, but I have never had one to my knowledge, mm-hmm. or or part of one because they're quite large. I don't think anyone is really going around just eating a whole one. They are quite large. I'm telling you, this was a this was a fun one for a lot of reasons. Uh, <laughs> like number one, you know, we love kind of a interesting creature. Yeah, sea sea, cre- sea creatures and invertebrates are like right up our alley. So yes. Yeah, so that was fun. There's uh-huh. fun mascot fact in this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of just the pictures are worth looking up. <laughs> the pictures they are, are worth looking They up. are. They yeah. are. Um we will get into the appearance of them mm-hmm. in a second. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And also a lot of people, a lot of people have written a lot about it. Uh, yeah, very big fans and very fondly, right? Sure. Yes, 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 yes. So it was, it was, it was very, very fun. And as someone who didn't know about this going in, <laughs> um, it was a delight to research. Oh, great! Yay! Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I guess you can see our oysters episode related. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Scallops, maybe. Sure, other other bivalves, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. maybe our episode about the uh the the big fish industry. Um, uh, partially thanks to some of the folks we talked to out on Oahu. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, but okay, if you're like me and you're curious, don't know. <laughs> I guess this mm-hmm. brings us to our question. I guess it does. Gooey ducks. 
What are they? Well, uh, gooey ducks are a type of large saltwater clam. Uh, picture, you know, a, a clam, um, you know, like a wide oval-shaped hinged shell. But but the clam's body is so meaty that, that it spills over the edges of its shell. And furthermore, it has this thick neck at, at one end of its body that, that ends in two openings. So it looks sort of like, a, like an elephant's trunk or, or a worm with spouts. Mm-hmm. Sure, spouted worm, yeah. Um, and their bodies are so big, in fact, that they cannot fully retract into their shells. Um, their flesh is ivory in color, and I, right, I have not had it, but from what I understand, they can be, like, tender to crunchy to chewy to meaty, depending on how they're prepared, um, with a with a really delicate, sweet, fresh to, to, to ocean-y flavor. Uh, I, I get the idea that it's like squid, but more flavorful, like sort of the texture of squid but with that good, fresh, sweet clam flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a like a Teenage Mutant Ninja razor clam. Um, <laughs> it's like, have you, have you ever had a dust buster with one of those hose attachments? No, but I wish <laughs> I had in my life. That's a yeah, true statement. <laughs> just a little handheld dust buster with a long hose attachment. It's it's like that, but, but you know, a, a prized mollusk. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent yeah. as always. And if somebody doesn't make an artwork, Teenage Mutant Ninja Razor Clam, then I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> Why do we even have a podcast I at that point? Know. We might as well hang up our pod pod hats. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, heck. Zoological name, uh, Panapia generosa. They are native to the Pacific Northwest coast of North America, uh, and and part of these clams do reside within their their shells, their those those white oval shells. But yeah, they they have these long ivory to muddy colored uh, necks or siphons that stick out from one side. And y'all, they are real phallic. I, I'm not I'm not trying to be rude here. It just that it just is what it is. Um, like a like a meaty parsnip, like. <laughs> Like there was a moment doing this research where I was kind of like, it was it was giving me similar vibes to that time that I had us read Goblin Market, and mm-hmm. I was like, am I gonna get HR called on me, and would I deserve it? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Delightful. Um. Mm-hmm. They. <laughs> So these these these, these animals um, will will burrow like two to three feet down into seabeds and just sort of stay there, and then use that siphon, that long siphon, to poke up above the seabed into uh, into the water. The end of the neck has those two openings, um, and they're a filter feeder. So one opening is for drawing in gulps of water from which they glean oxygen and food, uh, uh, phytoplankton, and then uh, they push out excess water and inedible stuff through the other opening. They can retract back into the the sand or silt to avoid predators, but again, they they cannot fully retract into their shells. Like their body length, including that siphon, can be up to three feet, like a meter long. Um, but the shells are usually only like six to eight inches long, like fifteen to twenty centimeters. Fascinating. It's real goofy looking. Oh. <laughs> It's great. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are the largest burrowing clam in the world, um, and and they they can get big. They average at just over two pounds, including their shells. That's about a kilo. But that means that they are often larger. The largest ever verified, um, as of the year 2000 anyway, was 8.16 pounds. That's 3.7 kilos. Wow. And it's a large clam. Yes. (laughs) It is a large <laughs> clam. Uh, they reproduce uh, through what's called broadcast spawning, in which male clams release sperm into the open water, prompting female clams to release eggs, like a couple million at a go. And if and when they meet and fertilize in the water, larvae will form and begin swimming around, eating algae and growing their shells. Over a few weeks, they'll get heavy enough that they'll sink to the sea floor and start burrowing down. As they get older and bigger, they, they burrow further, Yeah. And they grow pretty fast during their first few years of life, reaching about one and a half pounds in five years, and they're full size by about 15 years. Though they can live much longer than that. Um, 
over 150 years. Uh, yeah, for for harvest, they're they're usually harvested at like five years, but yeah, a very long time. Um, and every year they will build a new layer of their shell fr from the inside, so you can see the size the shell was in previous years by looking at the rings formed on the outside as each uh, progressively larger layer has been added from underneath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They are largely harvested by hand by divers who, who look for those telltale siphon tips poking up out of the sand. Oh, nature. What are you doing? Right? Oh, my gosh. Up, up to all kinds of things. <laughs> huh. I love it. <laughs> uh, ostensibly, we're a food show. These are eaten in all, all the ways that other mollusks are eaten, you know, uh, simmered in soups and hot pots, sliced into uh, sushi or ceviche or crudo, baked or stir-fried or barbecued or breaded and deep-fried, uh, ground and deep-fried in fritters. They're uh, they're a popular Lunar New Year ingredient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they are considered a sustainable seafood choice by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration because at this point, farming is pretty well regulated to prevent environmental damage. And, and since they are filter feeders, they can actually provide a net benefit to the waterways that they inhabit. Yeah. Yeah, they're super cool. They were so cool to research. And there has been... As we'll get into in the history section, a lot of really recent research. Oh, yeah. Um, but a, a lot of it was pretty, pretty promising. There's still ongoing things, but uh, uh, it, it was neat to see so many people so passionate about it that were like, no, we're going to look into this. We're going to look into all these aspects and kind of sussing out what is going on with the gooey duck. Oh, absolutely. And and right. I, I you know, we, we don't do these protein episodes that often but i i mean if i could just have a show about invertebrates i would and so <laughs> yes if you can't tell i'm having right this was a joy it was <laughs> a very strange joy <laughs> it was an unexpected one for me but i loved it i loved it uh well what about the nutrition uh, you know, by themselves, gooey ducks are pretty good for you. A good punch of protein, relatively low in fats, uh, okay spread of micronutrients. Um, th there are some concerns because they are a filter feeder about getting, in it, you know, if, if the environment that they are, are growing in is polluted, then some of those pollutants making their way into their meat. But yeah, I mean, you know, at uh, once you once you make them into a fritter, that's that's a separate, we're talking about a separate issue. Delicious one. A delicious separate, but separate issue. issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. Oh, gosh, we do. As of 2009, Puget Sound fishermen sold about 4 million pounds of gooey duck a year. Yeah, that's equal to about 2 million individual gooey ducks. Yes, and hundreds of millions of these clams live in that area, which we are going to be talking about that area in particular. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is that is mostly the area where they occur and are harvested. Right. Um, and at that time, around 2009, a pound of gooey ducks went for more than a pound of Dungeness crab or salmon uh, in that same area. So that's pricey. Yeah. Yeah. They can go for like 20 to 30 bucks a pound. And one fresh gooey duck can go for about $300 in a fancy restaurant in China. And that's partly because they're usually transported live. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 2013, the sale of 6.2 million pounds of Washington gooey duck was estimated to be worth about $70.5 million. And 90% or more of those gooey ducks ended up in China. Yeah. Uh, also, interestingly, uh, Washington State splits the commercial fishing of gooey ducks with the Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission, so, so, so a number of local Native American tribes. The state then auctions off their half to private businesses, which generates some $22 million a year, which helps fund aquatic habitat restoration. Yes. Um and going back to your point earlier that they can live a long time, one of the oldest known harvested gooey ducks was 173 years old. Ooh. Yes. Oh, my goodness. But, okay. 
Here we go. Mascot fact of the episode. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. The oh. Gooey Duck is Olympia's Evergreen State College official mascot. <laughs> I found two versions of the, because you know I had to look up the images. Um, oh, yeah. I found two images of this mascot, like two kind of specific types. So I would love if anybody has the lowdown on which one is the official, official oh, one right, right now. Oh, all right, all right, sure. But it, it did show up on a couple of, uh, like, creepiest mascots or weirdest mascot lists. Fair, yeah. Yeah. It is It's quite the sight. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I wanted to include the battle cry. And I don't know the tune, so I'm just going to read it. But, uh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, go, Gooey Ducks, go. Through the mud and the sand, let's go. Siphon high, squirt it out. Swivel all about. Let it all hang out. <laughs> so really leaning in to some things, we can say. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's a whole song. I only did a portion that's, of it. <laughs> that's way better than any of my uh, fight songs from yeah. school. I mean. Heck. It's giving me a lot to think about. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there is a uh, salmon bake and gooey duck festival every July in Allen, Washington. As of 2018, the menu included uh, gooey duck chowder, ceviche, sautés, and sliders. There's also a 250-yard mud run. And I must impress upon you gentle listener, um, that some press for this event has included a photograph of a craft table where an artist was selling models of gooey ducks that had been embellished with like a duck bill and eyes on the end of that long neck, and then with with little duck legs and feet coming off of the shell of, of the body to make them into d- ducks, into, yeah, gooey duck ducks. It's beyond words. I, I can't <laughs> describe what I'm seeing because Lauren kindly provided a picture in the outline, and uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, and they're posed like 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 ducks would be posed, you know, mm-hmm. doing doing duck stuff. Duck stuff. <laughs> I, again, pictures galore to look up for you. <laughs> Uh, that's your assignment of this episode because this is yeah. stunning, mm-hmm. stunning, yeah. excellent, truly, work. truly incredible beyond the pale, beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and this is one of those ones where occasionally we have to make executive decisions of what to include and not to include. Um, because gooey ducks have been featured in books; they've been the subject of books. They were the subject of the mockumentary Love Muscle. Um, <laughs> yep, muscle, not wow. you get the pun. Um, yeah. In shows like Top Chef, and there are just so many fun quotes about it. Yeah, I was laughing out loud a lot during mm-hmm. my reading today. I was as well. I was as well, because I don't think I'd seen a picture of it yet, and I was starting to get these handful of quotes that I was like, oh, I've got to look this up. I've got to look this <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, I did, and uh, what a what a research day it has been. Uh, but uh, we do have a lot of history for you. We do, and we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. 
It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. So the Pacific gooey duck is native to the U.S. and Canada, um, specifically the Northwest coast, and it boasts an ancestry millions of years long. We talked about that in our, uh, I think, oyster and scallops. We talked about it, but long time. Long time. Yeah, yeah. These creatures have been doing what they're doing for a good hot minute. Yes, they have. Um, Native American peoples in the Pacific Northwest have harvested gooey ducks from the shallowest areas that they would burrow in for centuries because they couldn't, you know, dive into the the deep back then. Sure. Um, and perhaps even longer, like thousands of years ago, though there is no known evidence for that. A lot of the things I read were like, it makes sense that they would have, but we don't have like the archaeological evidence to prove it. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they ate them smoked or just fresh. The name, from what I read, uh, comes from the indigenous Nisqually word for guiduck, guiduck, uh, meaning dig deep. Though another source posited at least part of the name stems from its resemblance to genitalia, but I only saw that in one place. So, what what can I say? Uh, but because of the phallic appearance, uh, some have and do use it as an aphrodisiac. Yes. Yes. Um, And as you mentioned earlier, uh, Lauren, as of 1994, Native American tribes hold exclusive treaty rights to half the commercial harvest of shellfish in Puget Sound due to a landmark legal case, um, which was really interesting to read about and I think would be cool to return to in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Uh, when the Europeans encountered gooey ducks in the area, they also cooked them and ate them. And from what I read, this is where the kind of spelling comes in, uh, that doesn't really match with how we might pronounce it today, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, naturalist R.E.C. Stearns wrote in 1882 about gooey ducks that they, quote, puzzle persons who tasted it for the first time as to whether they were eating fish, flesh, or fowl. Hmm. And one of the first known instances in print of the word gooey duck appeared in an 1883 issue of the New York Times. The author labeled gooey ducks as, quote, the prince of clams. And two years earlier, a fellow who studied mollusks named Henry Hemphill described them as, quote, the most delicious of any bivalves I have ever eaten, not accepting the best oysters. He even tried to come up with a way to transport still living gooey ducks to the East Coast, but could never quite figure it out, um, mm-hmm. which has been an issue for gooey ducks for a long oh, time. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
Yes. The popularity of these clams did lead to overfishing, and in 1925, the Washington state legislature prohibited harvesting, possessing, and catching gooey ducks. And this ban remained in place for five years, though officials still had a lot of concerns about gooey duck populations when they were lifted. So because of this, they only allowed for the harvesting of three gooey ducks per person per day and only for personal consumption, no canning or selling them. And as you mentioned at the top, Lauren, that's still in place. Yeah, that's that's still in place, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the commercial gooey duck industry in Puget Sound experienced massive growth in the 1960s. And it's quite the tale. So <laughs> these Navy divers were searching underwater for lost torpedoes, which I was like, wait, what? And then I researched, and I guess this was a thing uh, with test and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like, oops, where did those torpedoes go? Nobody knows. I guess we should look for them. <laughs> yes. I had yeah. to pause. and I was like, It's a whole thing. Yeah. 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 So these lost torpedoes belonged to a nearby military base where they did a lot of these tests. And these military divers, they discovered colonies of gooey ducks in the cold depths. And this was a big deal because previously, biologists believed that they only lived between high and low tide and no deeper. So this was like, whoa, there's so much more than we thought. And the diving team estimated that 63 million individual gooey ducks resided in the depths of Puget Sound, which was a lot. Um, and this sparked the beginning of the commercial gooey duck harvest uh, in that area. They do, from a lot of things I read, they do spawn very quickly. And you kind of explained it, but it's sort of like there's so many of them, but they also like spawn a lot and a lot of them die. <laughs> it's a lot of turnover, I suppose. Uh, and, okay, so Washington State auctioned off the rights to harvest these clams. One of the buyers was Brian Hodgson and some of his friends, and they would collect gooey ducks and sell them to local chowder houses. And he quickly rose up uh, the gooey duck ranks. He made a name for himself in the industry, and with the help of a business partner, he started selling gooey ducks in Asia in the 70s. Within a decade, they had really been adopted and became beloved in Chinese cuisine. Uh, the 70s also marks the beginning of the large-scale harvesting of Puget Sound gooey ducks. Um, during that decade, the unregulated market went from 82,000 pounds in 1970 to 8,708,000 pounds in 1977. Whoa. Yeah, which I read was its peak, which I believe, because that's the unregulated unregulated market but yeah a lot a lot a lot um in the early days of the commercial market many did try and fail to turn a profit because essentially it was new to a lot of people people were like what are you trying to sell me huh. yeah yeah <laughs> um but clearly made a market um Biologist C. Lynn Goodwin became the first person to grow gooey ducks in a lab setting, which was a five-gallon bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. uh, In the 1970s. However, he ran into a lot of issues around things like bacteria and water temperature. He looked to oyster hatcheries and what they were doing with oyster farming for inspiration. And along with some colleagues, he succeeded in producing baby gooey ducks in a research hatchery. But still, problems remained. Um, the gooey ducks didn't really grow once they were transplanted, for one. Um, Goodwin conducted all kinds of experiments, over 100 of them. And mm-hmm. he later estimated that he and his fellow researchers planted over 18 million clams. Whew. Yeah. Unfortunately, they all died. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Innovations in the 1990s allowed for the farming of gooey ducks, and it wasn't perfect. An environmentalist in particular had a lot of concerns around how this would impact the local ecosystem and environment. Yeah. uh, The the farming techniques generally involve sheltering the the gooey duck spawn in plastic pipes or, or cones or mesh netting until they're big enough to burrow. But of course, putting those things down, um, depending on where exactly in the environment you plant them, can really wreak havoc on said environment. And since that's also the spawning site for uh, Pacific salmon, uh, if you if you mix them up into the eelgrass over there, then it can, yeah, can cause all kinds of, of, of issues. Yeah. And as we said, this is 
despite the fact that you ducks have been there for forever, kind of this commercial aspect is fairly mm-hmm. new. So yeah. there have been a lot of studies looking into the impact of this. Um, two from 2015 found that gooey duck farming had minimal and temporary impact on the ecosystem and had not impacted biological diversity as of yet, which was another concern Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like if only this one type of gooey duck is being farmed and what happens if it breeds with the other gooey ducks. And anyway, uh, a 2017 survey, however, found that many people were still concerned about a whole host of issues. And and even though there is a lot of research being done, it is still relatively new. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. by 1994, the price of the Washington gooey duck was $4 per pound, and that was up for 50 cents a pound, which is where it had been for quite a while. Yeah. Um, around the same time, British Columbia's gooey duck industry, alongside a commercial hatchery, launched several studies to learn more about these clams. Because, again, it's a lot to learn. We got a lot to learn yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and these days... Gooey ducks are so prized in Puget Sound that they have been the target of heist. Um, there are books about this. Authorities mm-hmm. go undercover to watch, watch from boats to see if like criminals are up to no good. Um, they utilize yeah. they utilize underwater cameras to gather proof of theft. Although some criminals use radar detectors to evade them. Oh. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, in the late 90s slash early 2000s, a gooey duck dealer was discovered offering $5,000 $5, to a hitman to beat up another dealer who was pushing up the pay for divers. Oh. Mm-hmm. And the hitman was actually an informant who recorded the whole interaction <laughs> and handed it over to federal authorities. Oh, wow. Yes. And the dealer was arrested. But another twist, the informant was later imprisoned for putting together an illegal smuggling ring that harvested gooey ducks valued at over one million dollars. <laughs> He's going to pay him five thousand dollars to go like rough a guy up. Oh, right. Oh, you're like, you're you're really driving up my costs, sir. <laughs> um, my gooey duck costs. Yeah, uh, there was this article in Smithsonian Magazine that that touched on this, and uh, the then head of special investigations for Washington State's Department of Natural Resources uh, and Department of Fish and Wildlife told the magazine um, at that time, quote, We've seen tax evasion, extortion, mail fraud, money laundering, people trading clams for Vicodin, you name it. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Yeah, the Vicodin is a twist, I the, think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a twisty turny tale. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um well, in 2011, Washington state passed the Shellfish Initiative aimed at both protecting gooey ducks and growing the industry and you can read the whole initiative. It was kind of dense for me, but it had a lot of like very specific numerical goals in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And speaking of environmental impact, because gooey ducks do live some 140 plus years, their shells have been studied to glean information about climate change. Uh, You can look for markers of things like water temperature in those layers of their shells, like like rings in a tree, because in both trees and in gooey ducks, more growth in a single year will, will indicate warmer temperatures. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, places like California, Alaska, Mexico, Argentina, Japan, and New Zealand have been experimenting, have experimented with already, growing a successful gooey duck market. Uh, and that's amongst other places. Um, a lot of the research I found was specifically focused on the Pacific Northwest and specifically Puget Sound. Um, but that's not to say other places aren't oh, trying sure. to yeah. get in this market yeah. or... Some of them have like a successful smaller market for sure. Right. Or even a, a market in similar uh, like like other species within that genus that are not yes. quite as spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> they already have a market for. And so they're kind of like, oh, well, we could move into the gooey right. duck area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the duck market did take a huge hit during COVID, especially during early days, since, as we said, a lot of it is transported to China and a lot of it is transported live 
slash fresh. And there was so much fear around that um, when the, the pandemic first started. And I didn't really see any numbers, very recent numbers to say if that's changed or not. I would imagine it it's improved a little at least because I feel like we've kind of moved away from that. But I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. If anyone does, please let us know. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And if anyone has any recipes, anything we didn't talk about, if you're in this area and you've oh. seen. <laughs> yeah. If you've, I, I really, I really want to go on a gooey duck clam dig now. Me I, too. That is a thing that I absolutely want to do. I read so much about the technique of doing it. Uh, and yes. it sounds so messy and wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because you're just you're just literally hauling this giant clam out of out of the muck. Uh, yes. And that sounds like a great day, right? <laughs> it does. I did I saw a lot of the quotes, listeners, the quotes we found. I saw a lot of comparisons to like the Sarlacc or Jabba the Hutt <laughs> or something you'd see like Dagobah. So I, I'm yeah. like, I could have lived like my best Star Wars life doing this. Ooh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, we that that is all that we have to say about the gooey duck for now. But we do have some listener mail for you. And we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back thank you sponsor yes thank you and we're back with listener burrowing yeah oh <laughs> sandworm oh all these references oh yeah all these references cool. <laughs> all right uh bart wrote 
I drink cream liqueur exactly twice a year, once when putting up the Christmas decorations and once while taking them down. I'm very traditional when it comes to my decorations, so I always take them down on January 6th, i.e. today. Hmm. As I poured my glass of imitation Baileys, I grabbed my phone to see what podcast was next in the queue. Imagine my surprise when I saw next up was a savor episode named Warming Up with Cream Liqueurs. Hmm. In the past, I mostly drink Baileys when doing the decorating and in decorating, but then I briefly discovered the coolest liqueur ever, Sheridan's. It was from the same company as Baileys, but its bottle was literally split in two. There was a vertical divider in the bottle, dividing the contents into two-thirds of a dark black coffee liqueur and one-third a white cream liqueur. If you hold the bottle level as you poured your glass, you would get a layered liqueur with two-thirds black below and one-third white on top. I mostly bought it for the cool bottle and the fun of pouring it, but since I like coffee, I did enjoy the taste too. In recent years, Baileys have been releasing fun flavors like mint and salted caramel, but this year I was captivated by an own brand cream liqueur from one of our larger supermarkets, gingerbread latte flavor. Hmm. The spicy taste of ginger proves to offset the sweetness of the sugar and sour notes of the whiskey perfectly. I helped myself to a second glass while listening and in decorating. Aw. <laughs> oh, I love these traditions like this. My mom and I have one where we do, it doesn't really make sense, but we do Bloody Marys and we're taking down the Christmas decorations. I don't oh, know Oh, no, that sounds fabulous, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never heard of Sheridan's. It is definitely something I would I would have been like, let me see how this bottle this bottle goes too. Uh, the first thing I thought of, though, was the, you know, that experiment you do in like elementary school where you like have the different, like the oils and vinegars and all that oh, stuff yeah. and you dive try to different get them colors to f- yeah. yeah and try to get them to float properly yeah, yeah. Moshe I love so <laughs> I'm yeah like, oh, I'm into it I'm into it down to every try. time every time a cocktail calls for a float of something I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up this is not gonna go how I'm but then I'm like oh it's all going in the same place it's fine so I don't know <laughs> Okay. That's I feel like I would. <laughs> I feel like I would fail at pouring. This is what I'm saying, but I wouldn't right. mind at the right. end of the day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Andrew wrote. It is I, yet again, dropping into your inbox. I am a couple of episodes behind, but one of you made mention of the infamous uh, Pocky One Chip Challenge, and I thought I would share my harrowing experience of that irresponsibly spicy chip. Here goes. On my way home several weeks ago, I needed to stop at Walgreens to pick up a couple of items. I got in the checkout line and spotted a display of coffin-shaped boxes labeled One Chip Challenge, which advertised itself as a single, extremely spicy chip. The teenager that still resides in about two-thirds of my brain decided that this would be a fun, if slightly painful, thing for me to do. I'm a man. I eat a bowl of nails with motor oil for breakfast. This'll be a breeze. I could not have been more wrong. I get home and proudly display the box to my wife. That looks awful, she says. I open up the box and there is a single foil-wrapped normal-sized tortilla chip inside. I open the bright blue wrapper and take out the chip, which was heavily coated in what I now assume to be nuclear waste. I give it a sniff and my nostrils are immediately assaulted by the aroma of skin-peeling corrosives. I don't hesitate. I break the chip in half, shovel the whole thing in my mouth, chew, and swallow quickly. It's definitely got some flavor right off the bat. A second later, my brain catches up to the events that have just occurred on and around my now irreversibly damaged tongue. Sweat begins beating up on my hairless head. The sides of my mouth start to tingle and then are fully engulfed in invisible flames. Tears spring to my eyes. My sinuses are suddenly free of clear of any traces of blockage. I rush to the cabinet and grab the Tums. The normal relief provided by the chalky tablets doesn't come, even after munching down four of them. I fill a glass with water and alternate swallowing small sips with swishing and spitting. I down an Oreo and half a glass of coconut milk. Finally, I reach for a tub of Greek yogurt, allowing it to rest on my poor, burned tongue for several seconds before swallowing. Nothing helps. Fast forward 20 minutes, and the initial pain of the mouth burns are starting to wear off, but the stomach cramps are setting in. I rush to the bathroom in fears my body would reject the toxic contents of my stomach, but that relief never came. I lay on the floor for a full ten minutes while a literal puddle of sweat accumulated around me. After I felt well enough to drag my idiot butt out of the loo, I limped to the couch and nursed a bottle of Gatorade for the rest of the evening. 
Not one week later, I was in the restroom at work and hear a commotion behind me. I turned to see an ill-looking gentleman clutching the sink to arrest his fall as he made his way to the floor. I helped him down, uh, discerned that he was experiencing stomach cramps, and then called the company's rescue team. Uh, fortunately, we have our own paramedics on site. I returned to check on my coworker and discovered that he, too, had stupidly eaten the death chip, which I assume had him out of commission for the rest of the workday. Once the paramedics arrived, I quickly got out of the way. However, I've seen this same dude around the building, so I'm glad to report that he survived with no lasting effects. Had I done a quick internet query uh, prior to having ingested that vile triangle, I would have discovered it's been sending my fellow kids to the hospital in droves and is banned in many school districts. Shame. Shame on me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the whole so t- yeah. <laughs> the whole chip, friend. Yeah. Oh goodness. We split it amongst what four people? Four humans? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Three, maybe it was four, but I definitely well, got the you, smallest piece. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I can't believe there are a lot of things in this story that I'm like, wow, that they were selling it at Walgreens. Because I think we had to special order it. Yeah, um, right. Like it was, a, and it wasn't even like an order kind of thing. It was like a like a raffle almost. Right. So to see it in a Walgreens, just in the wild, in, just yeah. available to anyone. Of course, this was bound to happen. Um, but uh, I love, first of all, your descriptions. I love the things people do when you're so desperate to alleviate that burn. Yeah. And you've got your Oreo, you've got your coconut milk, you've got all these things, and it's just not helping. Yeah. Uh, no, and that's a true fact. That is that is very much my experience. Yes. yes. That, uh-huh. Nothing. Nothing helped. Yep. <laughs> I was like, well, this is where I live now, and I don't know when it's going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do it again. So Lauren and I were talking about this, um, <laughs> the human nature. We were talking about it with Limburger Cheese, but then after we'd finished recording, we started discussing kind of with spicy things, too. Why Why do people do this? Like, why do we, like, see, oh, death chip? Oh, I'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing regret it immediately are in pain for like two days and then are like I'll give that another go yeah why not that was fine (laughs) it really does crack me up we just don't learn a lot of us don't anyway (laughs) yeah yeah right just that entire yeah I I I can't remember now what we said on air and what we said afterwards but right that that human hubris of just like of just like like oh this is terrible you try it mm-hmm. or or what a what a fun experience that terribleness was what if i experience that again right because, you do want to share it it's like yeah okay. yeah <laughs> and i'm just like do we not have enough danger in our lives like i i do we need do we need more apex predators like is this <laughs> i don't know this is the deep thoughts that we must must consider the yeah. death chip has brought up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Lauren and I will, you know, gather our thoughts about it yeah. and maybe return. Because I am yeah. fascinated by this particular aspect of humanity, which I also do. Please understand, I am not above it. <laughs> oh, no, certainly not. No, mm-hmm. I mean, have you reached the point in the pandemic where you're no longer just eating hot <laughs> peppers, peppers for hot fun? <laughs> You know what's interesting about peppers, though, is that, like, I do, I have eaten a lot of spicy things during the pandemic, and I made um, oxtail stew, and it was so good, and you put a scotch bonnet in it, right? Normally, they're Mm -hmm. not that spicy, so I would just eat the whole thing. And one time I ate it, and it was one of the hottest things I've ever had. Yeah. it's still kind of that, like, gambling nature. So even though that experience was so terrible, I still eat it. Yeah. (laughs) It might not be Because why not? Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, right. The the last time that we were uh playing D D over mm-hmm. at Jim McCormick's house and he had grown was it scotch bonnets or or ghost something pepper, along I those lines? It was ghost peppers, okay. Yeah. yeah. He'd grown some and just, you know, chopped one up and was like, Here, this'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we all kept eating slivers of it. (laughs) And then, like, most of you, not all of you, but most of you were like, oh, so hot. I think Dylan was cool as a cucumber, but... Anyway, uh, I didn't eat any because I was the DM and I was like, I got to be cool. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I got to keep it together. (laughs) I was jealous, though. (laughs) It was it's it's a fun experience. I I don't know why I can't. I don't know why I'm like this. (laughs) (laughs) None of us do, Lauren. None of us do. (laughs) Um, Well, on that note, Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, uh, Dylan, cool as a cucumber Fagan, and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.